1: It's November 1974, and for the quiet seaside community of Amityville, Long Island, nothing will ever be the same. The scene was a grisly one. Six members of the DeFeo family found dead in their beds inside their home at 112 Ocean Avenue. They were all shot execution style. I'm Donnie Wahlberg, and what happened that night and what came next is what we're untangling on the new HLN podcast, Very Scary People the Amityville murders. We'll dive deep into the dark and complicated DeFeo family history, the police investigation of the murders, and even the supposed haunting of that infamous house on Ocean Avenue. But in this first episode, we're going all the way back to that dark November evening. Keep listening if you'd like to come along for the journey. To listen to the rest of the series, search for Very Scary People wherever you get your podcasts. Just a heads up before we begin. This episode contains references to ghosts, demons, and a grisly mass murder. Listen with care. It's November, 1974. A dog is howling somewhere in the neighborhood. A man makes a 911 call to the Suffolk County Police Department. Something's gone horribly wrong in Amityville. The man is panicked, he sounds like he's seen a ghost. Moments later, police arrive at a Dutch colonial house on 112 Ocean Avenue in the quiet suburb of Amityville. Amityville is a small, affluent town in Long Island, New York. And on this night, it's darker than usual outside. Pitch black, some said. It's still inside the house. Six members of a suburban New York family have been found shot to death in their
2: beds. It appears that all of them were murdered while asleep. Police investigating the case say they have no suspect, no weapon, and no leads. There's one major question about this crime which
3: still hasn't been answered. The question of motive.
1: And then we found out it was the DeFeo family. The father, the mother. Dawn was 18. Allison was 13. Mark was 11. And John... The youngest one was nine. His whole life was taken away.
2: The victims have been identified as members of the DeFeo family.
1: Rick Osuna is an author. He wrote a book called The Night the DeFeos Died.
3: You had a drove of uh, uniformed police and detectives going through the house, taking pictures, and so forth.
1: They walk through the house, checking each bedroom one by one, going up the red carpeted stairs past family portraits on the wall, an increasingly nightmarish scene unfolding with each step. This is retired Amityville Police Chief Kenneth Griguski.
2: And I found Mr. DeFeo Sr. and Mrs. DeFeo laying in bed with gunshot wounds to the back.
1: In the northeast bedroom, the police find two young boys dead lying in separate beds on top of matching olive green and mustard yellow plaid blankets. Chief Grugowski keep searching.
2: Then I checked the southeast bedroom and I found a young girl with a gunshot wound to the rear of her neck and head area. I proceeded to the third floor of the house and on the east side bedroom
1: on the third floor, I found another young lady with a gunshot wound to the head. Sisters, five years apart in age, also dead. They were found in rooms decorated with soft pink accents and yellow-flowered wallpaper. Laura Dio was a journalist in the region at the time.
4: But the girls, their murders were particularly gruesome because they got it in the neck and the face. The blood and the brain matter and other bodily matter was all over the beds, the walls,
1: etc., Here's Rick Osuna again, and Chief Greguski.
3: This was a multiple murder. Six bodies, six victims. I had never seen anything this gruesome. I couldn't
1: sleep for months. An unspeakable act. An entire family, it seemed, gone. An entire family, that is, except for one. The person who told police he found the family dead? Ron DeFeo Jr., the firstborn son of Louise and Ron DeFeo Sr. Ron Jr. had been trying to reach his family that day to no avail. Something was wrong at home. So that night, around 6.30 or so, Ron Jr. went to the house on Ocean Avenue.
3: And he went home, had to break a window to get in because he had forgotten his, his house key. He came in and he went right to his parents' room It was like a nightmare. I'm looking at my mother and father dead my sister. I said, my God, I
2: got scared. I ran out of the house.
1: Ron Jr. jumped into his car and raced down the street to Henry's Bar, a little tavern at the corner of Merrick Road and Ocean Avenue.
3: Drove very fast down the street to Henry's Bar. It was a block and a half away.
1: There, he found some of his friends and called for help.
3: He got out, ran right into the bar, and told everyone that his parents had been shot. And him and his best friend drove quickly back to the house, raced back to the house in
1: his Buick. Ron Jr. and the crowded Henry sped back to 112 Ocean Avenue. Ron Jr. stood outside while his friend called 911.
2: The only survivor of the family, 23-year-old Ronald Butch DeFeo Jr., was said to have discovered the bodies...
1: Soon, word about the DeFeo murders got out and shocked the town of Amityville. And you've more than likely heard something about this story, but not in the way we're going to tell you about it on this podcast. Here's Paula bureau. She grew up in Amityville.
5: Until the murders happened, Amityville was just another town, and then this horrible thing happened, and now it lives with this, shadow hanging over it. People, if you say Amityville, they immediately think Amityville horror, which is not what any of the people who live there want it to be known for.
1: In the nearly 50 years since the murders, this grisly tale has taken on a life of its own. It's been turned into movies, books, and TV shows. And since this fateful night, some have reported the house is possessed, that there's some kind of paranormal activity at 112 Ocean Avenue. This is Joel Martin, a radio host. Before you know it, people are talking about
2: this house allegedly being haunted. The story got bigger and more embellished and more fantastical, if you will. They claim that some black slime is oozing out of the walls. The toilet bowl has filled up with black slime from mind reading to ESP to ghost flying to levitating to doors flying off hinges to demons
1: Some believe it's not just the haunted nature of the house that caused the murders way back in 1974. They say the house remains haunted, even to this day. In fact, you can drive to the house right now if you want. It still stands on Ocean Avenue. Here's Paula.
5: They put up a fence. They changed the address to try to fool people or to hide the fact that this was now the Amityville Horror House not because of the murders that had taken place, but because of the subsequent book and the movies that came out, hyping this whole idea of, you know, this supernatural whatever. So it still persists to this day.
3: Here's writer Rick
1: Osuna again.
3: And the sad point is, you don't need supernatural, you don't need demons and ghosts, and you don't need bleeding walls or black toilets. The story, the true Amityville story is horrific. It's a dark story. It's it's scarier than two Amity builds
1: combined. What really happened that fateful night? Who took the lives of this innocent family and rocked a town to its core? And are the ghosts of the departed DeFeo still present in that house? That's what we're here to find out. Because we all know, in life and in death, there are no coincidences. From HLN, this is Very Scary People, The Amityville Murders. I'm your host, Donnie Wahlberg. Yep, I'm the guy from New Kids on the Block. I'm also an actor and a producer. You might also know me from the Saw series about the Jigsaw Killer or The Sixth Sense. And now on this podcast, we're going to dive deep into the mysterious and complicated story of the Amityville Murders and what, if anything, those murders left behind. This is Episode 1, Small Town Murder. My
2: name is Joel Martin, J-O-E-L-M-A-R-T-I-N, and what I do for a living. My mother says not much. My
1: resume says broadcasting, talk show host on radio and TV. Joel Martin's not just any radio and TV host. He had a show at WBAB about ghosts, death, and the paranormal.
2: The paranormal came to me a couple of years before the Amityville horror story.
1: But in 1974, he worked for the wire service, United Press International. He was a stringer, basically taking reporting assignments on Long Island. It was one of his first jobs in journalism. Joel was young and getting his feet wet, but he was a Brooklyn kid, used to seeing some pretty dark stuff like burglaries and murders. There wasn't a lot that could shock him. Let's go back to the middle of the night on November 13th, 1974, when Joel's phone rang. It was his editor calling.
2: And she says, Martin, I said, Yes, can I help you? It was in the newsroom at the radio station, my office. She says, hurry, get to 112 Ocean Avenue in Amityville, that's near you, you're the closest reporter we have. Get there and quick, there's been a mass murder.
1: A mass murder in Amityville, population 9,700. Joel could hardly believe it, but he and his producer got in the car and sped over. Already, neighbors were gathered outside the Ocean Avenue house, police cars lined the street,
2: And there are lights big, spotlights brighter than anything I'm used to being on television even. in the crowd is very quiet. I've never seen a crowd that quiet. It was unbelievable. For me, it was upsetting.
1: Joel and his producer stood across from the big gray Dutch colonial house, joining the growing crowd of people, trying to piece together what happened, trying to understand what could have possibly happened on such an idyllic street, such an idyllic town. Was a killer on the loose?
2: The scene was surreal, and it was morbid at the same time. It it kind of gave you the chills. and It was not a cold night at all for November for that time of year.
1: There was a lot Joel couldn't understand, but he knew one thing for sure. This was an assignment unlike any other.
2: The story was just horrible. It was a horrible story for Long Island. And while I'm standing there, we're just watching bodies come out, and cameras going off, and police, and officials, and vehicles, and lights.
1: One by one, police carried out the bodies on stretchers. Joel counted them. One, two, three, four, five, six bodies in all.
2: Each body was on a tarp. It was covered, of course. And it was on like well, a kind of stretcher or a gurney. And one of the little boys, accidentally, the victims, fell off. And I saw the little boy fall off. And everybody goes, ah,
1: and they gasped. Joel got a good look. It was one of the DeFeo sons, a young kid, not even a teenager.
2: And I looked at him, and, I, and I'm, I'm looking to see and I can see the uh,
1: gunshot wound. You, you could see it in his head. Somehow, Joel snuck around to the side of the house and peered inside a flurry of police officers. He needed answers. So with his tape recorder in hand, Joel went from neighbor to neighbor looking for a lead.
2: And they point me to a house just nearby and the lady and the elderly woman was living there and she heard the DeFeos, that's the family who was murdered, she heard their dog.
1: The dog, she said, was howling in the middle of the night. Joel took fastidious notes. Oh!
2: crying like that. And I and I asked her what time? She said, "Uh, sometime around three in the morning because I was up or woke me up or whatever. And she says, between three and three thirty I hear it barking.
1: And then Joel found a crowd of young neighborhood boys to talk to. He asked them about Ron Jr. I said, what happened to the sole surviving son? The teenagers responded without any hesitation.
2: They said he's a blank blank nut. He's a bully. He smokes, he drinks, You know, and they don't mean tobacco, you know, marijuana. And he, he does all kinds of drugs, and he gets crazy, and he's got a horrible temper, and the kids are scared of him.
1: The kids were confident something was definitely up with Ron DeFeo Jr. Joel did more reporting, then called it a night and headed home. At the door, he was greeted by his new pet kitten.
2: And she was so cute, and I petted her. I petted her about three times, I think. I just pet, pet, like that. And all of a sudden, she looks at me and goes, ah! She makes a little noise like this, ah! Her head goes over, and she died in my hands.
1: To Joel, the death of his new kitten, the same night as the DeFeo massacre, seemed like a very bad omen.
2: I don't know, but I hope it was a coincidence. It was strange.
1: Like I said, the way I see it, there are no coincidences.
0: That's A-N-G-I dot com.
1: Let's pause for a moment and consider the scene of the crime. In the 1970s, Amityville was not the kind of place we would expect to encounter a mass murder. It may have been an hour or so outside New York City, but it may as well have been on another planet. This is Daniel Jennis. He's a writer, a colorful character who wore fedoras and suspenders. As a bright, blue-eyed young boy, Daniel grew up visiting Amityville frequently. When I was young, I used to spend my summers in Amityville, Long Island. Amitos in Latin means happy. It's a happy place. (laughs) Amityville back then was a bucolic small town. An old town with a congenial feeling to it, some said. A little coastal pocket of Long Island, replete with old wood-framed seaside houses and a gazebo in the center of town. Here's Resident Paula Euroburo again.
5: Where they have, you know, Fourth of July celebrations and Halloween and Christmas with Carols and it is a quintessential sort of almost I would say 19th century vibe American town.
1: Amityville, even now, is in so many ways a bedroom community. Middle to upper class folks live there, commuting into the city for work prior to 1974. Murders like this one were practically unheard of in the town. So the deaths of the DeFeos changed everything. Rick Osuna again.
3: It definitely broke the sleepiness of Amityville, something you just would never imagine in that quaint town.
1: The morning after the DeFeos were killed, Paula remembers getting ready to go to school. She was 17 years old and attending an all-girls Catholic school called the Academy of St. Joseph on Long Island. It seemed like a normal morning until she came down to the kitchen where her parents were reading the morning papers.
5: My parents used to get the Daily News and the Long Island Press. And my mother said, she said, the DeFeo family was murdered. And I said, you know, I said, what? What are you talking about? She said, look, and I looked at the headline from the night before. And then you see the pictures of the family, the pictures they could get a hold of in that short amount of time and the pictures of the house with the crime tape around it.
1: Paula knew that house. She'd been there for so many sleepovers and pool parties. Got to know the family. In an instant, the DeFeos were gone. The parents, Ron Sr. and Louise, and four of their kids, Don, Allison, Mark, and John Matthew. Paula could hardly grasp the impact. This wasn't just a headline. She knew these people. Paula had hung out in the Ocean Avenue home with Dawn in her room.
5: When it's somebody that you know and somebody that had their whole life ahead of them and somebody who seemed like such a, a really terrific person, and I just felt so, first it was shock, and then I felt so sad. Um, I mean, the the enormity of it, the notion of six people being killed was enough to sort of be overwhelming.
1: There at the kitchen table, staring at the newspaper... Paula felt something in her shift.
5: You suddenly have this sense of your own mortality. You feel like, well, I guess I could die then. You know, you think you're invincible, but that's not the case. And that was the, that overwhelming feeling I had that morning. And it was just so sad.
1: It was a shock to the system, to the entire ecosystem of the town and the community that made Amityville,
5: Amityville. I think everybody who went through this, I mean, in some ways, everything that we felt, you could say the town felt. On the one hand, there was no awareness that young people might be experiencing something profound. And the older generation wanted to just get over it. They didn't want the bad publicity. They wanted to disassociate themselves from it. So it just kind of lingered. I mean, it still does. In
1: 1974... Laura DeDio was a producer for the TV station WNEWNY when the murders took place.
4: So that was huge news. And it was covered by every media outlet on the island and also in the city. So all the television stations, in fact, in the tri-state area. It was front-page news, you know, on the Daily News, the New York Times, etc.
1: And after the murders, in the weeks that followed... Laura said the house was swarming with people, outside on the lawn and across the street. It was hard to even imagine something so gruesome happening in a house like 112 Ocean Avenue. It was stately, with big windows facing the road and a fountain out front. But also, it was kind of fancy. Three stories, five bedrooms, and a huge basement.
4: You saw this beautiful house in such a wonderful setting. You've got a three-story Dutch colonial. It's got beautiful grounds. It's got a boathouse, you know, an outdoor, in-ground swimming pool. It's got a boat dock that backs right up to what they call in Amityville the canal, but is actually the Amityville River.
1: Inside the house, the rooms were each distinguished by different patterned wallpaper, depicting flowers, polka dots, buildings. Yellow carpeted stairs led down to the large basement where the kids would hang out and play a game of pool. Majestic oil paintings of each family member hung along the staircase that led to the second floor. Paula bureau was friends with the eldest daughter killed, Dawn DeFeo. One time when they were hanging out, Paula remembers Dawn talking to her about the oil paintings. Apparently Dawn's father, Ron Sr., really wanted to prominently display them in the home.
5: He was insisting they have these sort of portraits like this as some sort of 19th century Gilded Age family. I remember going up the stairs, she wanted to show me her room, and they weren't there yet, but there were places for where these portraits were going to be along the staircase.
1: Now, the portraits memorialized the DeFeo family as investigators and coroners went about their work in the house. The DeFeos were gone, and according to Laura DiDio, the whole thing was unthinkable that against this pastoral scene, there would be such a horrific act, as would be the unthinkable media frenzy that followed.
4: You've got all of the police, forensics, ambulances, bringing out the six bodies in body bags, on stretchers, and four of them were children, uh, ranging in age from 9 to 18. So 18 isn't a child, but it's still pretty young. And the murders themselves were very gruesome, because... They had been, the family had been shot at close range, in their beds, within a 15-minute time span, approximately, and it was with a very high-powered thirty-five caliber Marlin rifle that is very, very noisy.
1: So why didn't anyone hear the gunshots? Why was the only sound reported that of a dog barking, the DeFeo family dog, in the otherwise dark, still night? Here's author Rick Osuna.
3: The rifle used in the murders, it was a cowboy gun. It was a Marlin rifle, .35 caliber. One shot of that gun, even if it was in the house, would have woken half the street, let alone all the gunshots that it took to kill six people. So originally one of the fascinating aspects of the story was nobody heard the gun. Nobody heard the rifle shots.
1: How could a cowboy gun that loud not have woken anybody up?
4: And according to the coroner, and the autopsy reports, they were not drugged, which is another big mystery here. Why didn't anybody really wake up or, or try and defend themselves? Why were they all found face down? Nobody has ever been able to explain that.
1: Dr. Ziv Cohen is a forensic psychiatrist living in New York City. He spent lots of time studying the murders, and trying to find the answer to just that. The
4: first thing you're going to do is look at the crime scene and try to understand what occurred in the house.
1: And there's no evidence of a struggle. So many questions remained unanswered. And while the noise in the press and on the front lawn of the DeFeo's home had now become deafening, the truth about what happened that night remained, in the early days of the investigation, unknown. In the days that followed the mass murder, police detectives scoured the town, examining evidence, looking for answers, suspects. A web of conspiracy, lies, and secrets would soon be woven in and around the Ocean Avenue house. It would invite all kinds of theories about the murders in a haunted house that still persists today. Walls oozing with slime, cold breezes wafting throughout the house, a spate of people who died from heart attacks who were in some way, shape, or form connected to the DeFeo house. Here's radio host Joel Martin.
2: Now, I know it's all a coincidence. People are always dying of heart attacks. But when you do the statistical probabilities of so many people dying around that story, it's pretty scary. There are many more than that.
1: People would come to know Amityville as a home to a haunted house with a dark past. But in the early days of the investigation, no one thought of the house as being haunted. And no one knew who killed the DeFeo's on November 13th, 1974, or why. Ron Jr. survived. So, how did he get so lucky? How does anyone get so lucky? These questions still keep Joel Martin up at night. Everything is supposed to be a coincidence,
2: but sometimes you really wonder, you know, man, this confluence of things that come together. How is that possible? And we don't know. The answer is, we just don't know.
1: Or do we? Next up, on Very Scary People. It was one of Long Island's most chilling crimes. Six members of the DeFeo family shot to death in their Amityville home. A picture-perfect family with a violent secret. On the face of it, uh, this is a family that is very good at keeping up appearances. Mob affiliations and
3: wiretaps. Folks in Amityville knew from the uh, the bragging from uh, the father that, uh, that there was mob connections. Terror that led up to the murders.
2: We were all like animals, in a, like a dog on a leash, everybody in that house. Nobody could be free.
1: The police investigation that would uncover a haunting lead and how the murders of the DeFeos left behind a horrifying legacy.
2: Everything points to one thing, that that house was infested by something that it comes from the bowels of the earth.
1: Very Scary People, The Amityville Murders is hosted by me, Donnie Wahlberg. It's a production of HLN in collaboration with Neon Hum Media and is based on an original series created by CNN executive producer Nancy Duffy. At CNN, our senior producer is Sabina Ryman. Our producer is Allison O'Brien... And our executive producer is Abby Fentress Swanson. Alexander McCall leads audience strategy for our show. And Jameis Andrist designed our artwork. From Neon Hum Media, our executive producer is Jonathan Hirsch. Kate Mishkin is our producer. And our associate producers are Chloe Chobel and Navani Otero. Our editor is Stephanie Serrano. Samantha Allison is our production manager. Sam Baer and Josh Harn are our mix engineers. Theme and original music composed by Asha Ivanovich. Additional music came from Blue Dot Sessions and Epidemic Sound. Special thanks to Tara Lawrence, Michael Reyes, Courtney Koop, Tamika balance Kalasny, Ashley Lusk, Robert Mathers, Christian DeChateau, Lisa Namoro, and John Dianora.